Welcome back to another episode of Life After the Uniform podcast. I'm your host, Erin Silver, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. I hope you become part of the Life After the Uniform community, where we learn to navigate the civilian world with a military mindset. I have two questions for you. Are you getting ready to separate from the military and you're not sure where you should start? Or have you already entered the civilian world and now you realize you're not as prepared as you thought you were? If you answered yes to either of these questions, then today's episode is for you. My guest today is Bill Kiefer. Bill is an Army veteran turned career transition coach. His advisory firm focuses on military career transitions, executive coaching, and strategic talent management. Bill is also a coach for the Honor Foundation, which is a unique transition institute created exclusively for the U.S. Special Operations community. The Honor Foundation works to ensure that every step is dedicated to preparing men and women to continue to realize their maximum potential during and after their service career. In addition to all of this, Bill is also the author of the book, Military Career Transition, Insights from the Employer Side of the Desk, which we get to explore during our conversation. So if you're looking for tangible, actionable steps to help you with your military transition, then stay tuned. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life After the Uniform. And today I have a guest that has a very extensive background. I'll say that his name is Bill Kiefer. He is a U.S. Army veteran, but he has done so much since then. And I don't want to mess anything up. So I'm actually going to turn this over to Bill and let him uh, do his own introduction so that we make sure that we nail everything exactly how it should be. So good morning, Bill. Good morning, Aaron. Uh Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here, and uh, thanks for the uh, opening. Um, yeah, I did 12 years active duty as a U.S. Army officer. I was a logistics officer, mostly out in light infantry divisions. I uh, fully intended to run a full career and retire out of the military, and then life got in the way. I uh, was selected for promotion to 04, and very shortly afterwards found out that I was getting a divorce. Um, I had three small kids at the time, and I kind of faced a life decision. Do I continue with a great career that I love, or do I have great kids who happen to know who their dad is. So um, for me, it was a no-brainer. Kids win. And I walked away from the Army with no idea of what to do and no idea of how to do it. I knew where I was going to go. That's all I knew. But I was confident. I mean, what the heck? I was you know, experienced and educated and capable and life was good. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea what the civilian world held. So I got out, networked my way into my first job, which was Deputy Director of Economic Development, for the small county in Northwest Ohio that I live in. I was very blessed to get the job. Um, It was an interesting job that I was not no way qualified for. I didn't even know what I was really supposed to be doing when I took the job and quite frankly, didn't pay very well. So I continued to network and talk with other folks and landed a job as a training manager for an 1100 person air freight facility and very quickly rose to global senior level ranks in that company, stayed 11 years, Um, And then went on to do similar kind of roles in even bigger and different global companies. So um, I've got experience in HR, leading HR strategy, doing HR work, all aspects of it, and talent management. And what I found along the way is that veterans don't necessarily understand the civilian world. And the civilian work world doesn't necessarily understand veterans. So I found that I had open jobs that I couldn't fill. Uh, Even though I would have great veterans apply, uh, the veterans didn't know how to tell their story in a way that answered our need. And many of the folks in the hiring chain didn't understand how to read a veteran resume or understand what they were saying. So we got, you know, great companies with great opportunities and great uh, veterans with great capabilities. Neither understood the other. It was a swing and a miss on both parts. So in 2018, I kind of took a uh, look at where I was in life and I was getting a little tired of 70-hour weeks and 50 to 75% global travel, and said, you know what? I think it's time to go do something else. So I made yet another transition into entrepreneurship. I hung out my own shingle and um, opened a coaching advisory firm that I worked on today. Yeah. So as I said, everyone, he has an extensive background, and we get to talk today about something that I am just fascinated with. It excites me, but I know it scares some people, which is that military transition. It excites me because I see it as endless opportunity, endless possibilities, but that can also be scary because when you're in the military, 
You're basically told what to wear, where you're going to live, what your job is. It's very directive. Mm -hmm. And then you get all of this opportunity and it can be very overwhelming. So we're going to kind of hopefully be able to break that down. And what I do like to try to offer my listeners are tangible action steps that they can take to hopefully make that military transition into the civilian world a little bit easier. My transition was horrible. I I truly didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was way more confident than I was competent. I was very competent in the military, but I didn't know anything about the civilian world, let alone the civilian work world. I mean, I know (laughs) how to interact with people socially, but I didn't know anything about the civilian work world, what jobs were, how to get them, any of that. So there was a personal drive there for me. I didn't want anybody else to have to go through this. So I decided, let's go see if I can do something. And I I really look at it from two, two aspects. One is an employer you know, 22 years I spent in corporate America doing talent management, which includes recruiting and acquisition, going, why can't I fill these jobs? And why can't we tap into that military market, that veteran market? There's roughly 200,000 service members get out every year, all branches. That's a huge pool of talent. And, you know, there's hundreds of different career fields and MOSs and AFSCs and all that. Why can't we as employers do a better job of tapping into that market? The other side, and the side that quite frankly, I'm really, really passionate about is why can't we do a better job of preparing our service members for life after the military? Throughout my 22 years in corporate America, I worked informally with veterans to try and bridge that gap on a little bit of a, you know, informal basis, one-on-one. And when I decided to get out, I go, you know, I need to do this full-time. This is what I need to do to help close that culture gap and bridge that gap between employers and military veterans. So each side can um, enjoy the benefit of the other. Those are really good points. I, I think a lot of time when we are transitioning out of the military, we go through TAPS. Maybe mm-hmm. now we go through SkillBridge, which I feel like is being pushed a lot more currently than it has been. And that's a great opportunity. But we don't talk necessarily about finding a mentor or a coach. We talk about like, have somebody help you with your resume. And maybe we talk about networking. I don't think as much as that we should. Um, so I kind of want to talk about those things. You um, based your business basically on being a coach, correct? Can you kind of explain that position, what that is to someone who may not understand that? Yeah. So I'm not a recruiter. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't recruit people. I do connect people. Um, and uh, I got a pretty good size network. I got about 13,000 followers on LinkedIn. So it's not bad. Um, not too shabby. Yeah. Um, And I will connect people if I believe they might be value adding either the veteran to a company or a company to a veteran, right? But as a coach, it's not my job to do the work for the folks. It's to help prepare them to understand what they're getting into. And think about a coach on a field. The coach is not to pick any sport, let's say football, right? The coach is not the one engaged in the plays on the field. The coach is the one that helps them build the plan, put the plays together and drill um, what the particular uh, uh, skills are necessary. That's my job as a coach, okay? I, I also say I'm a coach and I'm an advisor, okay? And the advisory capacity, it's to help share insights that I've gathered over the years as a transition veteran, as an employer also. Um, so I'm providing insight and advice to folks to let them know this is the world you're getting into. Okay, so my job is to coach people up in certain skills and capabilities, right? Uh, You know, how do you network and what is networking and what does it look like? And, you know, what's a good elevator pitch and how do you answer the question when somebody says, tell me about yourself? That's Mm -hmm. a scary question. Or what do you do when they and you happen to get into an interview and they have more than one question and they say, tell me about your greatest weakness. Ooh, scary. Okay. Mm -hmm. I explain to folks what the typical talent acquisition process might look like and the different kind of interview formats that are out there. And, you know, why do we do a phone interview first or might we, or what if we don't? I mean, it's all those kinds of things. So my job is to skill them up and help them understand what the game looks like. The game euphemistically, um, because, you know, it's life. It's not a game, but, um, and what I offer, and I kind of coined this phrase and I think I've got it in my copyright and trademark process here, but, um, is I provide intelligence preparation of the career battlefield. So years ago, in the Army anyway, they have IPB, Intelligence Preparation of the Battlefield. I used to teach it. I spent two years teaching the officer advanced course at Fort Lee for logistics officers. Intelligence Preparation of the Battlefield helps leaders and service members understand the environment that they're going to go fight in, okay, in all kinds of dimensions. 
society and power grids and terrain and hydrology and you know, all kinds of ways you can look at a different terrain or, or battle space. Well, I've kind of taken the same logic and applied it here to career transition. So I don't know if I've actually got it trademarked yet. I think I'm working. I know I'm working on it is, you know, intelligence prep of the career battlefield using the same kind of logic to say, look, this is the world you're going into. Let's get you as well informed as possible about the various dimensions of that world. So you can figure out what you're going to do to be successful in it. Those are really good points. And I think that we maybe underestimate what it takes to make that transition smoothly. Maybe we can find a job, but there's a statistic that I read. And unfortunately, I don't have the reference for it, but it was basically saying 70 or 72% of the people that transition out of the military and go into their first job, leave it within the first year. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because they weren't fully aware of what they were getting into. Maybe they took the first thing that came along. Maybe they looked at a title or a salary and were just choosing um, based on that versus like a culture or if the um, organization or company aligned with what their beliefs are. Who knows what the reasons are? There's probably multiple of them. But to have that high of a percentage, you know, and in some ways it's a waste of time for the veteran and it's a waste of time for the company. And then you're kind of back at square one. So a lot of what you're saying absolutely makes sense. Like we can't underestimate what it takes. And a lot of what you're talking about is the preparation. It's talking about, um, it, it sounds like a lot of what you do is take what they learned in the military and kind of turn it into civilianese by Right. Well, and the phrase I like to use is, you know, you've gained experience and capability in the military, whether you did a you know, three, four year first enlistment or whether you did a full career, you gained experience and you gained capability and you are not the same person you were when you went in. In many ways, you're much better. You're much more capable. You see the world through a different lens. So what I try to help people understand is that you've got to honor your past and leverage it for your future. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean uh, you're going to be a Marine Raider out in some retail company, okay? But there are certain aspects of your military career that are not only applicable to the civilian world, but they're highly desirable by the civilian world. You know, decision-making and agility and problem-solving and, and, and diversity and ability to work in um, discontinuous environments and handling change. Those are all great things that are part and parcel to being a service member. Um, but unfortunately... Many employers, while those are the skills they typically want, what they see, it, they don't see past their biases. You know, they think about the basic training movies and the, the war movies they see on TV, and they, they have biases and perceptions that are, are simply not accurate. Not that they never occur, but they're not as broadly accurate um, as they might think. And that creates an additional wall. So I, I share with veterans, I said, look, you, you learn great things in the military, honor it by leveraging it in your future. Absolutely. And you said a couple of things there and it's making me think back. You are an author of a book called The Military Career Transition, Insights from the Employer Side of the Desk. And as you were talking, it was reminding me of a couple of things that you wrote in your book. And you have um, a couple of stories throughout to kind of visualize the point that you're trying to make. And one of them that was I was just thinking about as you were talking was uh, some employers will watch a movie and um, or a military based movie and then come back and say, oh, I totally understand what you went through now. Like I watched, you know, X, Y, Z movie and I totally get it now. That's a real story. And that really happened to me. One of my former bosses who was very uh, appreciative of my military service, you know, of every Veterans Day. I was, you know, happy Veterans Day. Really, thank you for your service, all that, which I appreciate. Um, But he didn't get it. He wasn't a vet. Nobody in his family had served. I mean, he just and and there's nothing wrong with that. 93% 93% of the population never served in uniform. Right. So it's not a bad thing, but they create ideas and perceptions and biases based on the movies, right? So we went on Christmas break. Our company shut down over the Christmas to New Year's week. And he came back and he goes, Bill. And he wasn't one prone to kind of just pop into your office. But he popped in my office and he uh, goes, Bill. I go, yes. He goes, I get it. And I thought, what do you get? And he goes, I understand your military service. And my first thought was, oh, God, this is going to be good. (laughs) I said, so what revelation caused that level of understanding? He said, well, I binge watched Band of Brothers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I get it. And I just shook my head and I said, well, I appreciate your interest. um, But my service was, you know, 50 years later in an entirely different world. But 
thanks. Right. Well intended, but he didn't get it. We've kind of started talking about your book and I had kind of like dog eared it, like started turning pages throughout. And then I was like, gosh, I'm doing this a lot throughout the book. Um, so when we were talking previously, I had said, like, I definitely want to bring up some things that mm-hmm. I wanted to highlight in your book, but I didn't want to give everything away because there were so many good points that you were making. But if you don't mind, can we go ahead and start hitting? Yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. All right. Awesome. So one of them was, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but it was the military must build its talent where the civilian civilian world can buy theirs. They can mm-hmm. buy their talent. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, huge issue. I mean, you know, everybody in the military comes in as an E1 or an O1. I mean, you start at the one and you know what it takes to become a two or, you know, you learn along the way. There are certain, there's a prog- progression. One goes to two to three to four all the way up, right? And um, there's a certain set of experiences and a certain set of schools and a certain amount of time. And it's very programmatic. And if you do all that well, and the army needs what you're doing, uh, you're going to get promoted. You're going to go do great things, right? It's a very clear career path. And if you happen to need a, let's just say you need an 04, okay, lieutenant commander in the Navy or a a major in the Army or the Air Force, Marine Corps, where are you going to go look? You're certainly not going to call an opposing force to ask for an 04. You're not going to call the enemy and go, hey, can you share a major with me? That's ridiculous, right? So in order to get an 04, you better have a crop of prepared 03. And you better understand what it takes to be an 04 and, and, and what it takes to get ready to be, to train and experience and assignments and all that stuff, right? So it's all inside for good reason. And it, it happens in a very well-developed process that's gone on for hundreds of years, right? It's evolved and shifted with the times. In the civilian world, if I need a new CEO, I'm going to go look. I might look inside for a few folks, but many companies don't have effective succession plans in place. So you go look on the market and you might actually hire somebody from a competitor to come in and be your CEO. It's an entirely different thing. So when people come into the civilian world, they say, well, you know, I want to come in and I want to be, I don't pick a title. I want to be an operations manager. Let's use project manager because everybody wants to be a project manager, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to be a project manager. Okay, um, great. And let's say they're qualified for project manager. And then they get in and they go, well, it's about 18 months, two years. When am I getting promoted next? You, you, what's the question? You want to get promoted already? We don't need any more whatever's next, the project director, whatever, right? One of the other companies I used to work for, you know, we had, you know, the uh, the, the bat phone, you know, we had been bought out by a different company. And, you know, where they would call us is you're going to hire Herman or Fred or John or whatever. Like, well, I don't know them. And it wasn't a discussion. Right. <laughs> That's who you're hiring. It's like, yes. okay, all righty. So people that maybe came in and were thinking, I'm at this level and 18 to 24 months. Well, can I tell you another story? Absolutely. Go for it. So I was working with a, uh, a young uh, army officer, um, engineer, who had the opportunity to do some nuclear work, specialized training, uh, came out and wanted to get a job in the nuclear field. Um, civilian and really quality guy. And I was a little concerned about the pay. And I said, you know what, what they're, they're offering seems reasonable. And he started pushing back on promotion. Well, if you're not going to give me the pay, I want to know the six, 12, 18 and 24 month promotion plan. The employer rescinded the offer. Mm-hmm. We're hiring you to do a job that we need done. And that brings up another point. Um, Employers hire people for two reasons and two reasons only. One, you've convinced them that you can successfully do the work they need done. And two, you've convinced them that you're going to fit well and add value to the team. That's it. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. Everything else is simply steps on the pathway to getting to that answer. That's great. And I think the last point that you made, one of the things I was thinking about as I talked to people and I feel like the resume kind of answers that first part. Or do you have the skill set? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the experience to fill the role that we are trying to fill? Then comes the interview. And I feel like that answers the second question. When I talk to you and engage with you, do I feel that you fit the culture of the company? So it's kind of like the resume fits one bucket. 
you know, the skills, experience, knowledge, whatever that is. And then the interview kind of fits the other bucket. It's critical. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to go to a movie, you have to have a ticket, whether Mm -hmm. it's a hard paper ticket or it's an e-ticket or a ticket you flash the phone with a QR code or whatever. You have to have a ticket. Think of the resume as your ticket to the party, right? And a resume is different than a LinkedIn profile. One of the things I talk to my folks uh, that, that engage me for you know, coaching services, I say, you know, your resume, I'm sorry, your LinkedIn profile is your statement to the employment and LinkedIn community. It says, hello world, this is me. Mm-hmm. That's different than a resume. Your resume is hello employer. This is me in the context of your job. So I think of your LinkedIn profile as part of your brand and in the broad announcement, sort of, to let the world know you're there. But the resume is a more refined, targeted, focused document that says, okay, now I'm looking after this particular job or industry, um, this particular company, here's who I am. And here's my initial answers to what you're asking for relative to doing the job successfully and adding uh, value and fitting well on the team. All right. Um, And that's why you'll hear the advice to tailor your resume to the job you're applying for. And because you want to use those keywords that maybe you saw in an advertisement for the position, or you want to be able to speak to exactly what they're asking for. And that resume, when it comes, especially if you're trying to apply for the federal world, um, a GS position or NIH or whatever pace uh, scale that is, your resume is extremely important because that generally has to make it through that first level if you're going on to USA jobs and applying Um, Sometimes that's a computer, just going Mm -hmm. through a resume and seeing, are you checking the blocks that that computer is set up to flag for Mm -hmm. um, where that system is? So that resume is very, very important. Um, It really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I, I try to get everybody to understand that there's a simple concept here and it comes out of the legal world. It's ask, answer. Okay. Mm -hmm. The employer by their job posting is listing their asks. Mm -hmm. They're telling you everything they want to the degree that they know what they want. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes not all employers know exactly what they want, but you as a candidate can't anticipate that your job is to answer every one of those asks. Mm-hmm. And I coach folks through an exercise. And you know, you said you want to give people actionable things. If you're looking at a job opportunity, actually this sounds kind of silly and cursory, but write down I don't know, it's crayon or Microsoft Excel. I don't care how you do it, but in the left column of a document, write down everything on that job description. That's the list of asks. Mm-hmm. And in the right column, opposite each one of those, how do you answer the question? What's your experience? What's your capability? Uh, you know, it says I need three years of experience doing uh, insurance uh, industry marketing for commercial accounts. Well, what's your experience? And I would suggest that oftentimes, especially our military members, they go, I don't have any experience that fits that. And that's where a coach and advisor comes in and adds value. It's like, well, hang on, let's dig a little below the surface here. Mm-hmm. What they're really asking for here is this. Have you ever done anything like that? And let's talk about that. And and nine times out of 10, we'll uncover something that is more relevant than the the veteran first thinks. Mm -hmm. But that's why you want to partner with somebody who's got life experience in the real world, you know? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And it lets you look at something that you may only be viewing through your military lens Mm-hmm. And it allows you working with a coach or a mentor. It helps you broaden that horizon um, mm-hmm. to exactly what you were just saying. It's like, this is what you call it in the military, but on the civilian world, it may encompass all of these different things. Mm-hmm. And I think we hear the word network all the time. But one of the things that you said is applying online is generally a waste of time um, that you need to network. So why is networking so important? Well, there's studies out there. I've done some work with Challenger Great Christmas, which is arguably the leading executive outplacement firm in the world. A buddy of mine runs their North American practice. They've got some great studies out there. Anybody, uh, maybe you've heard the Challenger Employment Report comes out on the big news stuff. It's that group. Mm -hmm. And their studies will tell you that for salary professional kind of jobs, like most veterans are looking for, not Mm entry-level, first-time manual labor kind of stuff, over 80% of the jobs are landed by networking. 80%. 80%. Yeah. Only about 5% are landed strictly by applying online. So while applying online can be a part of your strategy, and some places will require that you complete the online application, the real ticket to success 
the real path to success, the real focus of efforts should be on networking. Because at the end of the day, people hire people. Now we put, they put, we, I was one of them, put systems in place to, you know, to kind of reduce flow and screen people out. And I have this in the later portions of the book, you know, the recruitment and talent acquisition process early on is about screening people out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You know, there are recruiters out there that might be handling 20, 30, 40, or more different job openings. Each of those may have hundreds or dozens or hundreds or thousands of applicants. It's a sheer volume thing. Okay. So you as a applicant, as a candidate, want to find ways around that hurdle. And the most effective way around that volume hurdle is connecting with people. And connecting with people is networking. That's so true. And for everyone that has heard, especially in the veteran community, um, we talk about LinkedIn quite often. And there mm-hmm. is a very robust, active, helpful veteran community on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. There is. You should be using it for networking, not necessarily as a job board. So if you're going to LinkedIn and looking at there's a job section and you're just trying to apply you might want to try networking with the people, like connect with people. It'll tell you, do you have connections that work there? Or are you connected to that specific organization organization or company? So don't necessarily look at LinkedIn as a job board. You shouldn't just be going on there, like you said, setting up your LinkedIn profile and then you're applying for jobs. You really want to be using it to network and making those connections um, because it's a, it's a huge database of just people mm-hmm. that know things. A lot of people have a lot of different definitions of what networking is. And I get that. But the one that works best for me isn't some list of activities that describes networking. It's really understanding that networking in its raw form is simply a conversation with a purpose. That's all it is. And for it to be effective, there's some techniques you got to learn. But for it to be effective, you first have to figure out what's your purpose for the networking activity. Now, for folks in job search, career transition, your overarching purpose is to land a job that, you know, meets all your needs, right? Whatever those are. And that's good. But for each and every uh, networking uh, opportunity or networking engagement, you're going to have or should have a specific set of purposes. So your networking purpose early on when you've never done it before is just to get used to showing up virtually or in person at a new event where you don't know anybody, just Mm -hmm. getting in the door. Mission accomplished that day if you do it successfully, right? Maybe the next time you do it is to go shake a hand of a stranger or to make a comment in a virtual uh, chat room, uh, job, job room, something like that, right? And then as you get more experienced at it, maybe it's something like, I know there's a particular person going to be here that has a particular uh, 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 expertise or contact at a real company that I'm interested in. And I want to meet that person and I want to set an informational interview with that person. But you got to have a purpose. Otherwise, you're just kind of babbling around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to say that networking is a uh, conversation with a purpose. If you don't know what your purpose is, Um, you're probably not going to be real effective at networking. I think it's interesting too with networking is there's a hierarchy in networking. Okay. I think LinkedIn did people a disservice. They call everybody a connection. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's a connection. Okay. So, Hey man, we saw each other on LinkedIn and we pinged each other and nobody said anything, but we checked the check box and now we're connections. No, you're not contacts. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I've ridden subways or, or undergrounds or the tube or the L or in a lot of different cities around the world. And I've noticed, especially in Eastern Asia, when you get on the subway, there's a lot of jostling around and the sense of personal space is a little bit different. I had contact with hundreds of people on train rides, right? I'm bouncing into them. not a single one of them were connections. So there's some level of awareness that, you know, I saw Aaron's name somewhere. It's like, okay, I know Aaron's out there. That's not even a contact yet. Then there's some kind of a outreach that says, hey, Aaron, I'm Bill. Want to connect? Mm-hmm. Click. We connected. Well, not really. We're a contact. In order to become a connection, there has to be some kind of purposeful next step. Hi, Aaron. 
Nice to connect with you. I saw you run a podcast and you're doing some great work. I'd love to learn more. Now we're a connection. And as that connection grows and conversation happens and there's various levels of interaction that's beneficial to both parties, then a relationship forms. So you go from awareness to contact to connection to relationship. And then over time, some small portion of those folks you have a relationship with will become advocates. They're the ones that are out there singing your praises and connecting you to the world. Right. So anyway, that's, that's all in the book. Yeah, and absolutely. I think a big part of the transition process is building that community. And mm-hmm. you are building that community through the networking. And that's probably what's going to get you to that next step. You can't do it alone. So uh, Absolutely not. Absolutely. And you know what? Nobody in the military fights alone. Right. I don't care what your job is. You don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got peers, you've got some uh, team members, you've got support personnel, you've got other forces that do other specialty things that all, we're all, th- I don't know why people think they got to do transition alone. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but here, we're here to tell them that they don't. <laughs> there yeah. are many resources, whether that's a person or a book or a right. LinkedIn, you know, website, there are lots of resources out there. We're just trying to help you on an easier path, I think. Absolutely. Another thing that I really liked, and it kind of maybe goes back to that resume, or it goes back to even talking to someone trying to make a connection. And you said, if you tell us I'll do anything, then we have nothing for you. Explain that one. From the employer side of the desk, from that gentleman right there that you got to get through, okay? If you're networking working with that person, or in, even in an interview, say, you know what? I've, I've got a lot of great kids. I'll just do anything. We don't post anything jobs. Mm-hmm. We post jobs because we have particular things that need to get done. And it's great that you may be able to do anything. That's not what I'm hiring for. So I want to know what is it you're bringing to the table that's going to help me get that work done. Now, it's important, even if it's not in an interview, if you're networking, um, you know, people generally want to help. They really, yeah. really do. It's amazing, uh, amazing, positive thing in society, right? But they can only help you if they know what you need help with. I don't know how many people I've talked to. They said, well, you know, I'm getting out in, you know, six months, nine months, 30 days, two years, whatever. And, you know, I just need some help, you know, laying in a job. Well, great. What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What am I supposed to help you with? Where do you want to go? I'm not sure. I'll go in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What am I supposed to help you with? So one of the things that I suggest people need to do early on and probably earlier than most people would even realize, start thinking about what you want to do when the uniform comes off. Maybe the answer is something simple. It doesn't have to be robust. Like, you know, I know I want to do some operations management kind of job um, in a services kind of industry in the Midwest. Now I can do something with that. I can do something with that. Or maybe, um, you know, I'm really interested in doing something entrepreneurial and I've got this love of woodworking I'd like to start my own little custom woodworking shop in Vermont. I can do something with that. Now, I don't, I don't know that I'll land you a job, but at least it focuses my effort, right? So help, it's kind of the Jerry Maguire movie from back in the day, you know, help me help you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so don't get discouraged if you're starting out and you don't know what you want and people go, well, that's great, good luck. If you're not giving them, something more than I'll do anything, they're not going to be able to help you. That's really the gist of all that. Well, and one other thing that I'll add to that, and it kind of ties back to a lot of what we're saying is before you are even leaving the military, try some exploratory calls. You know, maybe you've had a contact on LinkedIn and you, they look like they're doing something that you might be interested in. Reach out to them. Not only does that give you information, um, because to your point, people want to help. And if you just mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm looking to transition out of the military, retire in the next year, whatever it is, I'd love to bend your ear and ask you a couple of questions about what you're currently doing. Absolutely. So you're not only getting that exploratory call on what that position entails, you're also then creating that network, that community of people that now you can go back to and become that now they are connections versus just a contact. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend doing that. If you're not quite sure what you want to do, maybe two things will happen. Either you'll figure out, yeah, that is something I'm really interested in or, oh gosh, maybe that's not the route that I want to go. It sounded great, but when I really learned about it, it's not for me. And those are both good things to learn. 
Exactly. Because either way, it's starting to narrow down the scope of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell my you know, my friends that, you know, used to, you know, infantry or artillery or whatever, you know, it, you, know you shoot, you got to know your target before you engage it, you know? Absolutely. That's a and great. You, you, you have priority targets. Uh, and then there's targets of opportunity that come up. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You've got to be ready to engage those targets of opportunity too. And if you don't know who you are and what you bring into the party and how you define success and what capabilities you bring that you can leverage in the civilian uh, uh, workforce, you're not going to effectively engage that target of opportunity. Uh, I, I really liked this one. Your former rank means nothing to most of us. And I think this is something in the military community we kind of get wrapped around is your identity is a lot of times not only tied to your MOS or AFSC, it's tied to your rank. And then you go into the civilian world and they don't know what an 0405 is or an E7, E8, E9. So what do you do about that mentality? Yeah, well, as scary as it is, you got to let it go. Mm -hmm. You have to let it go. because employers, most employers, they don't care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I see in the book, you know, oh, you're a sergeant. Wait, you're a major. Is that a sergeant major? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> nobody cares, right? So um, it, it, you have to let it go. Your identity is not your rank. And I think that's where it roots from. A lot of folks, and, it, you know, I fell into it too. You know, you, you identify by the rank. That's okay in the military where it's clear where there's a one and a two and a three and a four and, you know, you know, the private, the first class, the corporal, and get all the way up. Again, we get it. That's not how it works in the civilian world, right? And you find that titles are used very differently from company to company. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a longstanding joke that everybody at a bank is a vice president. Right, yes. Well, why is that? It's because it's people's money, and people feel more comfortable with a bigger title, handing my money over to a vice president, Right. I've had jobs where the scope of the job was bigger, even though the title seemed to read smaller. You know, a vice president, senior vice president, uh, chief operating officer at a $10 million manufacturing firm with 100 people in it is a real job. That's a great job. It's not the same as a chief operating officer in a $7 billion, 30000 you know, and the job that might be chief operating officer in this $10 million company might be a manager in this bigger company. Good points. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. This is another really good point. Uh, the transition into the military was much more structured than your transition out. And I think anybody who has gone through the process realizes this, but people who have are preparing to go through the process need to realize this. So go ahead and explain that a little bit more. So think about this, right? You're however old you are, 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever, you're, you're the younger version of you. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you think, you know what, I think I'm going to join the military. It's a volunteer thing. You're volunteering mm-hmm. to do it. And you do maybe a little bit of homework or maybe not so much. And you meet up with a recruiter somewhere or you meet up with a program director if you happen to go through um, you know, a service academy or ROTC or whatever. And um, you go, I think I want to join. How do I do it? And they lay out the whole process, right? And they say, you know, first we got to do this, and you got to you know, these things have to happen, and and once that happens, then this happens, and tick, 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 right? There's an entire structure around that process to help you be successful, to get from where you are today, as you know, Johnny or Sally, civilian, to become private, corporal, lieutenant, airman, whatever, Johnny or Sally. The process has been built for generations. The structure around it is all about making you successful. You're entering something you're not familiar with. And that process takes care of administrative things, and it takes care of training technical things, which are job skill. But it also takes care of informing you and training you about the culture. Huge bits of that, right? And I know one of the best training mechanisms to learn culture is push-ups because I did a lot of them, right? Right. It must be. We all do Yeah, it must be, right? (laughs) Now, think about your way out. You've done your first enlistment or your whole career or whatever, and 
somewhere along the line, you get a notice somehow that says, hey, you're eligible to go to TAP. So you, you go, okay, that's cool. And you talk to your chain of command who may or may not be supportive of your leaving and may or may not make the time available to you and as robustly as you'd like. And then you get to a program that has some structure to it, but it lasts just some number of days. And it's focused on helping you exit well. It's focused, I, my understanding from what I went through and talking to hundreds of folks, its focus is on helping make sure you get squared away with the VA, mm-hmm. which take it from me, get squared away with the VA early. Um, and then there's a little bit of discussion about resumes and a little bit about interviewing and that thing called LinkedIn. Good luck, God bless, Godspeed. Mm-hmm. Where's the discussion about workplace culture? Where's all that stuff that you spent so much time learning on the front end to get you acculturated to the military, what's well, not available? It's not there, but for the work that like me and some other folks do, right? So um, it really is different and ha- much more highly structured on the front end. Now, I want to make a comment here because it's not all that different than the civilian world on mm-hmm. the way out. In fact, it's a rare employer that provides outplacement service to um, exiting employees, Okay. You get hired to do a job that needs to be done and to fit well and add value to the team. By and large, you are not going to get the opportunity to go searching for work somewhere else while you're in the job. Not going to happen. One of the more or less uh, savory things I had to do through the years was be part of the leadership teams that had to do uh, uh, reduction in forces and redundancy exercises and all that Um, in some years to the tune of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon for it to come out of the blue. And I walk into Aaron's office with, uh, you know, if I'm the HR guy, I walk in with your manager and say, Aaron, thank you very much. Today's your last day. Here's three boxes and a sheet of paper about the benefits you have on the way out. You have 10 minutes to exit the building. That's real. And you're gone and you're done and there is no recourse. So I'll suggest the military does a better job than most civilian companies relative to exit but your exit is going to be far less structured and far less robust than your entry was into the military. Very, very true. But I do want to transition into what you were just talking about is leaving the military and needing someone to kind of help bridge that gap between the military and the civilian world. Mm -hmm. And that is a lot of what you do. So can you explain what you do? Yeah. So, um, Relative to career transition, I do. I work both sides of the the desk. I guess I do some work with employers to help them either optimize or build a military veteran hiring and employment strategy. Um, so if we have any employers on the phone, I do that work, and it's an eight step process that I've built over the years that really follows just kind of a common sense business model. Okay, and, and is similar to a recruiting strategy. The real heart of the work, I think, for the call today is I work individually with uh, service members uh, and veterans too. I like to get them folks while they're still in the military. And I walk them through a six-step process that I've built and I've used with service members and non-service members. And the very first step is who are you and what do you bring into the party? About three dozen dimensions that I ask them to sit down and give me their initial, what are your pet peeves and what are your priorities and what's your life circumstance and where do you work best and where do you want to go and what interests you, those kind of things, right? Once we get that, we set it aside and say, now, relative to your career, how do you define success? You know, and I liken it to sports. I mean, are we playing golf where low star wins? Are we playing cricket that could go on forever? Are we playing hockey? What are we doing here? Because oftentimes what I find is people don't know what they're trying to solve. They do a lot of stuff, but they don't know who they are or what they're bringing to the party. And they don't know how to define success. So there's a lot of effort going on, but it's not necessarily adding up to stuff, okay? So who are you? What do you bring to the party? How do you define success professionally? And the third step is what do you know about the transition environment? Because, and this is in the book too, but you've got your former military career, and then you've got this landing spot that where you want to go for whatever that job or career is, but there's a whole space in between that you can't skip over. You have to go through that swamp to get to where you want to go. And oftentimes, people go, they don't want to do that work. So what's your transition environment look like? What's your network look like? 
what's your brand? Do you understand what a resume is and how do you network and many of the things we've talked about today? And what's your message to the employment community? Do you know anybody in the geography or the industry or the market or the companies that you think you want to get to? And, you know, all kinds of things about the transition, the players, the processes, the tools, the techniques. So I walk them through all that. And then what we do after, then we put it all together and go, where are the gaps that matter? Mm. And I like to say, you know what? I I am not a good welder. That doesn't matter. I don't want to be a welder. Right. Okay. (laughs) I'm a pretty good writer. Okay. That's relevant. Okay. So who are you? What do you bring to the party? How do you define success? What do you know about your transition environment? Where are the gaps that matter? And then it's a matter of action planning. What are we going to do to close the gaps? And then it's execution and follow-up and all that. So that's the model I use when I coach folks. And, you know, sometimes we got folks that have more clarity about some things and we can customize the approach a little. Everything I do is customized. Uh, Some folks need the full process. Some folks go, look, I know who I am. I know what I'm bringing. And they actually do. And I know what I'm looking for. Um, You know, I want to be a high-end hunting rifle sales rep in Montana. That's a real thing. Oddly specific, but yes, I'm sure yeah, it is. A real- it's like, great. <laughs> how can I help? Yes. Well, I'm just not sure my resume shows the right stuff. And I'm not really sure how to best network. And, you know, I, I heard about this thing called an elevator pitch or a personal. I don't know what that is. So we customize it. Now, here's an interesting bit that I know is different for some folks. I am not a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I charge for my services. And I know mm-hmm. there's people pushing back going, you shouldn't charge a veteran. Like, well, guess what? I am a veteran mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make a living too. Okay. But here's what I found. Cause I did a lot of it. And I still do about 85% of my work is pro bono, but many of the folks, if I take on an individual client, there's probably going to be a fee tied to it. And here's mm-hmm. why. Cause early on, I found that the folks that didn't pay anything didn't really have any skin in the game. Yes. I'm giving you huge thumbs up. And those are my exact words you have to have skin in the game yeah there has to be something on the line for you and for a lot of people that's monetary yes it is and you know i i I had a particularly uh challenging call one time about that and i asked the gentleman i said okay so let me ask you this why should i invest in you if you won't invest in yourself amen yeah ended the conversation right there so, mm-hmm. but I mean, that kind of generally just kind of, I, I really don't advertise much. I do most of my work through LinkedIn um, because I found it to be the best, most effective way. I'm a solopreneur. You got the entire company on the phone right now. I really wanted to focus my efforts real clean and not try and get tied up in a whole bunch of different social media sites and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. And there are resource, resources out there and you can access them. Um, I do think when you have skin in the game, it makes a world of difference. I think you're going to work harder towards that goal that you've set for yourself um, versus, you know, it's just something that you've dabbled in and there's really Mm -hmm. no commitment on your end. So, yeah, yeah, for whatever it's worth, I absolutely agree with you. I do a lot of public speaking. Um, I've done all kinds of forums. And I think you, well, I think you mentioned it earlier. Um, I'm a coach, a coach advisory board member and a faculty member for the Honor Foundation. And I'm a master trainer for um, the Ranger for Life program, more elite transition. So um, I, I'm, I'm deeply into this. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have the experience to back up what you're offering other people. It wasn't like you just transitioned out of the military and was like, I'm going to try this on and see how this works out. No, you've put in the work and the effort and um, you can back up what you are telling people. So yeah. it's all. Well, Bill, I enjoyed our talk today. I appreciate the time that you've given me. We've gone through a lot of things and I love that you tell stories. So I am, I think things connect a little bit more when you can have a story to go along with it. So I appreciate your stories. Thank you. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. If somebody wants to get a hold of me, I'm all over LinkedIn, William E. Bill Kiefer. Um, email address is bill at kiefer-associates.com. My website is www.kiefer-associates.com. Absolutely. I will make sure that that's also in the show notes. I know some people don't listen to the show notes. So if you missed any of that, you can rewind it, listen to it again, or you can go to the show notes and I will ensure that all of your links are available um, so that if somebody wants to get in touch with you, they absolutely can. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Bill Kiefer. 
We covered a lot of ground, but here are my key takeaways. Number one, start laying the foundation for your military transition before you separate from the military. It is never too soon. Start networking and building connections. And think about what you really want to do in this next chapter of your life and be as specific as possible. Ask yourself, where do you wanna live? What does success look like to you? And what are your goals? Based on this step, you can move on to number two. Complete a gap analysis based on where you are now and everything you just identified in step one. If needed, work with a transition coach. This will not only save you time and energy, it will also save you a lot of frustration. And number three, start working on your civilian resume, but don't focus so much on your rank because most people don't know the difference between a major and a sergeant. Instead, focus on your skills, focus on the results you've achieved and your knowledge. And don't forget, Bill mentioned making sure that your resume answers each of the questions asked in a job posting. And maybe the most important thing is, ensure that you translate your military experience into terms that civilian employers know and understand. Like I said, it was a lot. And if you want to connect with Bill, I will make sure all of his information is in the show notes. If you're looking for a group of military veterans just like yourself to ask questions and get information from, then be sure to join my Life After the Uniform Facebook group. We can all use the extra support. Thank you so much for listening to the Life After the Uniform podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with a friend, or leave a review. It really does help podcasters just like myself. Until next week, have a great one.